It's time for the Little Agency That Roars podcast, a podcast that connects you with talented and brilliant people. And that's all of us. We are available wherever you stream your podcast, so go ahead and find us and subscribe. I'm your host, Michael Fasoni, and let's get started. Rob, I got your water here. Great. Thank you. Um, I'll take it. We've been chatting this whole time. I didn't ask if you wanted coffee or anything else no, or soda. This is wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So we're recording. We're sitting down here with Rob Petkin, the owner of Border Home Improvement here in Kansas City, Missouri. Rob, how you doing? Michael, I'm doing great. Doing great. Beautiful day in Kansas City. Awesome. Awesome. What'd you do today? Well, let's see. Today I started out with uh, our quarterly meeting. Uh, so every 90 days, yeah, we reset with our team. Every 90 days, we reset with our team. Uh, we look for how did we do over the past 90 days against our goals and what does the next 90 days look like. Uh, we kind of subscribe to that rhythm in our business from a, uh, a book called Traction, EOS, running your business on a 90-day rhythm under the premise that nobody can really remember beyond that anyway or stay focused, <laughs> and I think that's pretty accurate. So uh, we started the day with that meeting, full team. That's always really energizing for me to do that. And, uh, and just kind of speak into them and challenge them for, uh, for what's to come. And fortunately, we had a lot to celebrate about what we've accomplished as a team so far this year. So that made up the majority of the morning. And then uh, did uh, marketing reviews and plans and taking a look at lead generation and which channels are most successful and reviewing those numbers uh, with our marketing team and then headed down here to meet with you. It's a busy day. <laughs> most days are like that. And how big is your crew over there? So we have about 70 employees, uh, and that's between our Kansas City location. We also have a location in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Okay. Tell me when you came to Bordner. So I came to Bordner in November of 2000. Actually, it was October 1st of 2000. October was my first full month. And uh, Bordner was originally founded by my father-in-law and his two brothers. And so the three of them had grown up. Um, in the roofing business and, you know, cut their teeth, all knew how to do it very, very well. They were craftsmen, detailed guys, really passionate about the quality of the installation. And um, the business was 100% new construction roofing at the time when I joined. Very little replacement work was done on roofs. And um, my father-in-law and I had always talked for about, you know, three or four years. I was in sales and he was really interested in, you know, what I was learning from that side of things. And um, over time, we just realized maybe there was an opportunity within Bordner to get more into the replacement side of the business for homeowners and, and balance out our business. At that time, 20 years ago, that was the vision. How could we balance this out so that we're still uh, doing a lot of work in the new construction side of things, but uh, also having more of a presence in the roof replacement side of things within Kansas City. And so you were already working in sales at Bordner? No, I was uh, working it for... Sales at a different company. Yeah, sales for a uh, company pretty well-known, Ernest and Julio Gallo Winery. Okay. Yeah, out of Modesto, California. They okay. had a great uh, management development program. Some of the most ingenious business people that I think I've ever had the uh, joy of being a part of an organization. I worked for them for the first seven years out of uh, college. What did you do there? So it was a management training program, but I uh, started off you know, stocking wine in grocery stores, calling on grocery stores and selling uh, display opportunities and grocery stores, liquor stores, what they call the retail side of things. 
So uh, if I wanted to really impress people, I would tell them I was in the wine business. If I wanted to be really honest, <laughs> I was in a grocery store shelf stocker, right? So I had both sides of that, but uh, I was in their sales and management development program that ultimately uh, started calling on the distributors for Gallo and for their brands. So you're working there doing that, but you're married to your wife and your father-in-law approaches you? Correct. Okay. Yeah, so um, what, does he, what does he ask you? He would just ask me questions about sales and what are you learning about you know, people and the different sales training that they're doing. He, he had a, a great nature for being inquisitive about things, and he genuinely cared. Mm-hmm. He was just one of those people that was always learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, just had a real humble spirit about him. And so it would be general questions about business. How do they handle these things as you're moving? Because we moved, my wife and I, in the first six years of marriage, we lived in nine different homes. So a couple of those were self-inflicted, right, in, in the city, just moving in the same location. But most of it was moving around the Oklahoma and Texas area uh, as part of the program going, you know, when, when the next opportunity was there, those that sure. were willing to go and were available, you know, saw faster um, faster climb up, you know, the ladder, I guess you'd say. So So at what point did he ask you and how many conversations did it take for him to get you over here? Excuse me, for him to get you at, to Borden. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a lot of conversations over about five years. Five years? Yeah, because the conversation started, I would be inquisitive about what he was doing. I didn't know anything about the construction okay. business as a whole. So a little so, back and forth at first. Oh, absolutely. Because you're happy where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was happy. It was Like I said, it was a great program. They did a, a wonderful job of uh, keeping us in training, growing us. Uh, you know, I never will forget my, my biggest inhibition about when I left that opportunity was, am I going to grow anymore? Because I was in this management development program, and so there was constant training, and I was traveling for training, and whether it was learning the fine wine side of that business that they were building up at that time, or, you know, learning more about just the retail as a whole and, and the business as a whole, but I was constantly being trained, and I really enjoyed that. And so my biggest apprehension to coming to a family-owned company was, wow, is this going to stop? Right? Am I just going to learn? Am I, am I done learning? Am I done growing? Right? This seven years of wisdom that I have, right? Is that like my whole bank to kind of the to opposite? Do everything? Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I tell everybody, I, I the uh, the formal training went away, but uh, I definitely got my MBA in business uh, from figuring out you know the real world of of what that looks like when there's not you know the giant staff that handles this and there's not the giant staff that handles this and all of a sudden everything is you know up to you. Yeah, you learn a lot really, really fast. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. What state were you in at this point when, then, when, he, when, he, when you guys decided you were going to make the move to Bordner? Were you still in? Yeah, so we were living in Houston at that time. Okay. And Houston was a funny move for a guy from the Midwest. So keep in mind, this is 20 years ago. But I, I was born and raised here. Uh, you know, in the Midwest. And so this is kind of my pace, my speed. Okay. And I remember when we moved to uh, San Antonio, it had a lot of the same feel. San Antonio, Kansas City were really had a lot of similar feel to its size, space, traffic, that kind of thing. And so we moved to Houston and I tell everybody we lived there for eight months and that was the longest two years of my life. <laughs> I mean, you know, you end up, it's like, if you want to go 30 miles, the 30 mile, 30 minute conversion doesn't work anymore, right? It's 30 miles, three hours. And uh, you know, I, I just remember driving to work one day and realizing, man, I, I'm spending three hours a day commuting to work. 
And, and so for me, I just, I believe there had to be so much more than that. This is a true story. Uh, we moved in on a Saturday in Houston. And so my wife and I are unpacking and turned on the radio. And at 11 o'clock at night, there was a traffic report. And I remember thinking to myself on Saturday night, wow, that's really odd that they would do a traffic report at 11 o'clock on Saturday night. It's like, I better get up early Monday morning, make sure I get to work on time. And so I got up at, I think I was out the door at 5 a.m., I was ready to go, and I'm driving out of my neighborhood, and you could see the highway from my neighborhood. And as I'm looking up, I think, I think I see brake lights on the highway. And I'm 30 miles, I mean, I got a 30-mile commute on the highway, right? I'm like, I think I see brake lights on the highway. That's not good. I get up closer. It wasn't brake lights on the highway. It was brake lights on the on-ramp from people waiting to get on the highway where there were also other brake lights. Man, it just, uh, that was a real, real shock for me. So that definitely did not hurt me looking into uh, the opportunities to get back home to a little bit of that pace that I was used to and, uh, don't and blame grow you. in that. So I don't it, blame you. It was just a, it was a different world. I've avoided big cities myself for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> when you can see your destination, literally, but it takes you 30 minutes to get to it. Yes. Yeah. Because you're just bumper Stuck. to bumper. Nothing you can do Stuck. about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's why I stayed in the Midwest as well, I believe. Um, so you come back home. Can we talk about working um, with your in-laws, for your in-laws? Yeah. Working as a family business. Obviously, yeah. I have some interest there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a unique dynamic, right? I will, I will say I was very, very blessed. I, look, look, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I, want, yeah. I want to ask it a different way first because mm-hmm. we'll get to that part where you're headed. Um. Was there apprehension amongst um, you and your wife at first about making this decision? I mean, you know, was it no decision like that is easy, but you have an extra factor in there. Yeah, I I think if I look back to that time, I would say there is a lot of truth in ignorance is bliss. You know, I had a lot of admiration for my father-in-law, knew him well, knew him to be an extremely intelligent individual. And I don't know that, uh, I'll consider it a blessing that I didn't really give it maybe as much thought as some people do, but certainly, you know, now 20 years looking back, right, and just the many, many experiences that go with that, um, you know, I realize ultimately like how unique my experience has been in Mm -hmm. that. So I didn't really, uh, when I look back and I read my journals at that time and and that type of thing, there were a lot of things that I was apprehensive about, but that, that wasn't really a dominant one. Really? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I think, and again, I think it just speaks to the fact my father-in-law's name was Cliff Fleener. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I think it just speaks to the fact of his ability and to think of others and to be relational and, uh, you know, his, his humility set such a model for me personally and wanting to emulate that. I was just really drawn into that. And that probably outweighed any of the apprehension that went or should have gone with, mm-hmm. you know, that decision. And he's no, he's no longer around, is he? Correct. Yeah. He, he, he passed, passed away last, just over a year ago. That's what I thought yeah. last year. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and you guys have, uh, st- stores, you guys have headquarters in other states so we're you'd mentioned yeah so we're located in kansas city and then uh, two years ago we also opened up an office in atlanta georgia okay 
Okay. You talked about, and I thought this was really interesting. I think it speaks to your character too. Um, you were afraid that growth would stop. And that's, um, talk about that. Because obviously, it, as, you're, as you've learned already, it doesn't stop, it, it intensifies. And you kind of already said that. Um, where does your need for that growth come from? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, over the years, we have really, uh, as a business, adopted a lot of different tools, call it, you know, personality tests or, or different tools, understanding how, uh, just having a lot of self-awareness is our goal. And the other goal is just to create a common language around those things so that it's like a safe thing to talk about. What I've learned through that is I have a very detailed personality. And so I thrive on details. If I can uh, understand a framework, I can understand how something works, then my creativity will come into play with that and then I can adapt it uh, to you know, what I know as my strengths or uh, another strength that I have is just really uh, galvanizing or bringing people around an idea. So as I develop an understanding of it, it's very easy for me to then bring others into that idea. So I think that's where that hunger and that thirst comes from is I'm not, you know, I'm not the person that's going to go out there and develop like this whole new system for something. I, I, I tell everybody, I think I was uniquely created in which my strengths come out being a second generation of the business, because I think the entrepreneur that has to start something from scratch has a very unique set of skills. And I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily really strong in that, but to take something and enhance it and make it better um, is really where I thrive. So when it came to that that wanting to grow, what I didn't really have the words for then but now understand about myself is I, I really thrived in that framework. When someone will bring a framework and say, hey, this is how this works, and I can very quickly adapt that to whatever the need is that I'm in at that time. So you come on board Bordner, and they were primarily only doing roofs. And now, obviously, your roof bath, siding, windows. Um, how long did it take to get all those categories built and developed? Uh, well, stay tuned, right? Because we're not totally there yet on all of them. And I say that because I think one of the things that we realized very quickly in this is we fell for the, the um, maybe deception that a lot of business owners fall for, where you you focus in on your end product and you go, well, I'm doing this, so that must apply to all of these things. And so what we tried to do, we tried to take our roofing model and apply it to all of those different things. And maybe the best and worst thing that happened to us all at once was uh, my brother-in-law, Jerry, got us into the stucco business. So that was the first thing that we did other than roofing. Okay. And it was predominantly serving builders in the Kansas City area. And so we took the same customer base and we took the same processes and procedures that worked with that. And, and he just launched that into uh, almost an overnight success. I mean, it, it was he has a very, very strong entrepreneur ability within it. So his ability along with the built-in customer base, we were successful with that. And so then we started to translate that and say, well, we must be able to do this, this, and this also. And what we learned along the way was uh, that's really not how you should look at those things. 
you really should look at it and understand like who is the end consumer of this and am I meeting their needs through all of this that I do? Because at the end of the day, a builder's needs were totally different than a homeowner's needs. Well, and a bath customer's and, needs are different than a windows customer's yeah. needs. Yeah, and one sense you're in somebody's home and you're doing a lot of intricate, detailed work. And then another sense you're outside someone's home mm-hmm. and you're doing, there's some detail work within it, but a lot of, you know, the roofing is like a production-based business where, you know, there's a lot that happens really, really quickly as far as size and scope of a project. Not to mention most roof work a customer can't see. Right, right. Unless so, I'm really tall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so at, at the end of the day, right, then, then there's that. There's the trust level, mm-hmm. you know, with that, that you're going to do things the right way, right? Because, you know, that's what most people say when they hire you to do a roof. I'm not climbing up there right. to check that. <laughs> Don't get right? on ladders. So that's actually probably the one, you know, we talk about this a lot. That is the type of business that we do that requires the most trust from a customer. Because... When I do siding, you can walk along the walls, you can see it, sure. and you can get a good feel for, hey, sure. how did you do? Uh, when I do windows, you can open them, you can close them, you uh-huh. can look at the trim inside, you can look at the details of that and say, oh, how, you know, how did they do? When I do your bathroom, right, you're going to see a lot of details of that. Uh, so it's just understanding all of those nuances. And, and what we've had to do over the years of trying to add these things is really develop the discipline of starting with, like, what does the customer need? And then build the process back from that rather than saying the utilitarian approach of, oh, we're putting shingles on, right? So we just focus in on, you know, as long as it's a great roof that's dried in, that's not going to give any problems, that the warranty is going to last on it. But it's such a major disruption, right? Like one of the phrases we have around our business is we don't have job sites. We work on homes. Nice. Because people don't don't want their their homes turned into job sites. And, and again, that's just trying to repeat the things to be sensitive to because when you do what we do day in and day out, which is a major disruption on a home for a very short amount of mm-hmm. time, you start to take that for granted. Mm-hmm. It's like anything else anybody does day in and day out. What seems like a big deal when you don't do it very often, does, it doesn't stay a big deal. And so we have to constantly remind ourselves we're stepping into people's yeah. homes. We're disrupting lives. Like shooting a commercial in someone's home, I have to remind myself sometimes, hey, this might be my production. This is this person's home. Um, and I want to I sell for you here for a second because I've, you know, we've been doing some video series for you lately. Mm-hmm. And I've been learning more and more about the back end of, of your installers and how you guys are working. And I want to uh, promote this for you guys because I think it really speaks to how you work. Um, whether the customer knows it or not. Like, for example, when you guys do a bathroom model, I learned that you guys actually replace all of the plumbing. And it, when it was explained in the video, it made perfect sense. Because if something goes wrong in that plumbing, they have to get through a new product that you've installed to get to it. Well, let's just make sure that's not an issue anymore. And any, in, other, in other words, any areas that you're going over that have the plumbing, you guys replace. I think that's a step that... Correct me, 90% of people in your industry probably don't do. I think one of the greatest challenges in what we do is we're always having old meet new. right? No matter how far we go, in some, at some time, old is meeting new. And all of our people we talk about, that's always people's greatest frustration point. Because it's either we've highlighted the old now because the new looks so good, <laughs> right? Or... You think that the scope of the project is going into this, and and it doesn't. 
right? So what we've tried to do is just look at it again for work that we want done on our own home. And we go, okay, where's the logical stopping point with this that we can explain and do consistently and set it up in a way that 10 years from now you go, oh, that makes sense why they did that. And quite honestly, that requires us a lot of times in the home. We have to be able to explain that in a way that presents value to our customers because there are a lot of ways in our business to lower the cost of things. Sure. It just, it's just a reality. And you can make things look really, really good for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But we offer some, some pretty um, impressive extended warranties. Kansas City is our home. We want it to be our home for a long time. And it's really important for all of my people, my craftsmen that do the work, my salespeople. You know, integrity, we have six core values, but integrity, uh, you know, we call that's the bedrock for them all. Because we just define that as do the right thing. And at the end of the day, I tell everybody, as the leader of a home improvement company, I don't have a warehouse floor I can look down on to make sure everybody's making their widgets, right? I don't have, you know, one place that I can go to and monitor everybody's uh, work that they're doing. But we go out to multiple homes a day, and so much of it rides on my people's integrity of what they do uh, Mm -hmm. and seeing things through and doing it the right way so that we set the expectation and then we exceed the expectation. And that's, from a business purpose standpoint, that's our purpose statement. We say Service exceeding expectations. Yep. And, and, and within that, we want to be relationship-focused and results-driven. Mm-hmm. We feel like that's what gives us a seat at the table from a home improvement standpoint. Because from a relationship standpoint, there's a lot of really good, excellent sales and marketers. They can come out and they can really present a wonderful plan for what they're going to do. And so it gives uh, the customer a great feeling about that. But when the results don't match, there's this cognitive dissonance that happens and, and a huge level of frustration. Mm-hmm. Right now, on the flip side of it, if, if we have all of this you know, great craftsmanship, right, but we don't communicate, so this is the results driven, then you get frustrated because you say, well, look, I love what was done with my bath. But man, the process to get there was so frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so as a purpose, we say we're relationships focused, results driven. If we can come to the table with a great solution for what somebody needs, explain to them, set great expectations about what the project's going to look like. And then on the flip side, deliver those results. Then that's what gives us a seat at the table of the hundreds of options there are for people to have work done on their home. I like that. I like that. Um, you mentioned journaling, and you're one of, I think, three people that I know that journal. No, no, and I mean that. I, I, I'm endeared to that type of behavior yeah. because I'm not that type of person. So, and, and that's why I want to talk about it, if you don't mind. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm endeared to it because I don't relate to it personally, but the people that I know do it, I really admire. Let me say it that way. How does it help you? Do you journal every day? Is it morning? Is it night? Tell me about that. So for a lot of my life, I've done it daily. Um, In full candidness, I'm probably about three days a week right now. But the idea of that behavior, the value of it for me is I just realized so many uh, of my thoughts become complete when I write them down. And I think I'm like all of us, right? You you get a hundred, maybe a thousand things going on in your mind at one time. Mm -hmm. And you're always thinking about this and what if and could be. And, and, and especially when it comes to running a business, 
right? And running that with the responsibility of those that have said like, hey, I'm going to trust this guy to work for him here, right? I mean, that's the amount of trust that people place in us as business owners is just unbelievable. And so um, it just gives me clarity of thought. So it's a, it's a discipline in my life that allows me to close the loop with that. Uh, it's a big part of my faith walk and to be uh, just before the Lord and, and trying to have an ear to listen rather than just speak all the time because I can tend to talk too much. And uh, so it's a really good quiet time where I'm just able to unfold uh, a lot of the things that just in the normal day-to-day, quite honestly, I don't have the mental space to do. The other thing that I think is amazing about journaling is things that are so big in my mind, after about five minutes of writing things down, they become very, very small. And what I mean by that is, it's either great clarity that comes or you go, wow, I'm really building that up to be a lot bigger in my mind than it is, or that's something I really need to just leave and allow to work itself out. Because um, I can, I, I want control over everything. You know, I want to be able to control it. I want to be able to make the call. I want to go. I want to have my hands around all of it. I do know. <laughs> and I think, you know, as your level of responsibility grows, that just you just realize even more, I mean, none of us are in control, but you just realize even more just how true that is on a day-to-day basis. Wow. Um, Rob, you said three things in a row that kind of blew my mind. Um, One thing is it gives you the discipline that allows you to close the loop in that process. Um, That wasn't verbatim, but I think I got close. That was really well said. Journaling creates that buckle that helps you complete that circle. So you can put that thought away, manifest that thought, it sounds like. You said sometimes when you write them down, they come true, or however you said it. Um, And then what was the last part that you said? There's a lot to your journaling. You said, you know, the last part is... um, For me, the... um I think what I was trying to summarize there was just thoughts feel really, really big in my head and they get really, really small when I write them down. I like that because they can't. It gets overwhelming up the, up, up, upstairs in Absolutely. your head. In my head, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think, you know, this, this gets a little bit into just my personal beliefs and uh, that are so paramount to what I do, but... You know, if you believe we're truly uh, beings that are created for eternity, but we're stuck in this finite world, then there's going to be a constant tug within that because we're contemplating all of these infinite things through this finite little pea brain, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's going to be some mm-hmm. friction. And, uh, and for me, journaling is a great tool just to help um, I don't know that I necessarily work through those things. I'm not saying I get a whole lot of answers uh, in that. But again, just put it in into perspective. That's awesome. That's awesome. You said you do it about three days a week? Yeah. And how long have you been doing this? So I started when I came back to Bordner. That was so 20-some years. And the other vision that I have for journaling, which motivates me, is... You know, there are so many things, so many great people that have been in my life that, you know, especially as they pass, you're like, oh, I wish I would have asked them that. I wish I would have asked them that. I wish I would have asked them that. And I've always had this vision, like, what if my kids could go back and they could read? Like, I remember that time 
in my life. I remember when we as a family were going through that, and I never knew, like, yeah, this is what my dad was thinking uh, within that. And so there's a little bit of kind of like a, you know, um, just an idea of just leaving that, you know, posterity um, and minimizing those mysteries. Do you go back through and read them? I do, yeah. Do you go back through to specific years and days or weeks that you knew, you know, maybe in 19... You know, 97, you knew that this one time, or excuse me, that was too long ago, but, you know, in 2006, you know. Yeah, I I will, because, you know, I can remember major things, right? You remember as you're leading a business, you certainly remember recessions or Mm -hmm. when you made a change in direction on something, you know, with the business. And for me, call it the therapeutic value of, of that journal is, you know, a lot of times I'll journal things that I'm worried about or concerned about or whatever. And, and now you're looking at it in hindsight four or five years later, but you're remembering how you felt in that moment. And how you dealt with it. Yeah. And so you go, wow, in that moment, that was a really big deal. Five years later, looking back, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe today, the things that are a big deal aren't quite as big a deal. And that, that brings me a lot of peace. That's so awesome, Rob. Yeah. Do you do um, resolutions as well? So uh, probably the thing that shapes me the most from that, because so, I do love goals, right? I love having goals and I love having plans mm-hmm. and things like that. But uh, there's a book that I read a few years ago called One Word. And the premise of this book, it's like about a I don't know, 30 minute read. It's this tiny little pocket book. But the premise is rather than focusing in on all of these goals and having all of these things, and you know, you're going to do that as a driven person anyway, what if you focused in on letting the Lord give you one word for the year? And you just let that one word permeate everything. And you, you, know, you journal about it, you focus in on it and just pick a word for the year. So uh, for the past couple of years since I was introduced to that book, because that's fairly new in the things I've done, that's what we do New Year's Day as a family. So everyone in my family will uh, be thinking about, praying about, asking the Lord to give them their word for the year. And then we do a little artwork project. We make a, you know, a card for it, put it on our bathroom mirror for the year, and uh, then go back at the end of the year and kind of talk about, like, I thought the word meant this, but it actually meant this. This is how that worked all this year. And that's been, that's been a blast. So What's that's the, Can you share this year's word? Clarity. 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 So from a professional standpoint, uh, that word, what it has meant so far is that's the greatest gift that I give to my people. Is if they have clarity on the goals and on the vision and on the principles of what we're trying to accomplish, it frees them to be their very best. And when there's a lack of clarity, then at that point you end up with chaos because everybody has to first figure out their own version. And then that's when you get people going at each other, even though they should be rowing in the same direction mm-hmm. and so forth. So as a leader, the greatest gift I can give is clarity. And then that's caused me to really focus in on, okay, so when I engage in something, if I'm having a meeting, why am I having the meeting? If, I'm, if we're setting uh, an objective out, why are we doing that? And really trying to put handles around everything that we're doing that says, like, we win if we do this. And just bring that clarity. So, How do you choose the word? So or how does the word choose you? Yeah, so so for me that has really been you know just taking a look at um, um, praying through you know what are the real issues 
asking the Lord to show me, hey, like, what's the common element of all of these, right? If I've got challenge over, challenges over here, you know, at home or challenges over here, you know, at work and all these areas of my life and relationships, I, I, I seek for God to reveal to me, like, what's a common theme here? And then the other thing is I read the Bible and I just ask the Lord because typically I will have one particular verse that I tie into that word and I just memorize that verse as well. And it just, it, it gives me, for me, my faith is a foundation for everything. So I want everything to birth out of that. And so I choose that verse. I choose uh, to remind me, like, why is clarity so important? I, I knew, I knew prior to our interview today that you were a man of faith. And uh, I wanted to ask you about it. You've already talked about it. But now I'm going to ask it, how does faith, because you are a man of faith, how does that play into your day-to-day life and business? Yeah, so, so for me, um, I always grew up, uh, I would say, believing in God, but I did not fully understand uh, that He knew me personally and that desired a, a personal relationship with me. When we were living in, I was telling the stories about Texas. This is a great Texas story. So uh, we are moved to San Antonio. Don't really know anybody in town. My wife and I had a conversation about church and why do you even go? And, and it's a really, really long story about it, but it's so beautiful about her. Real person. quick, is your wife a person of faith as well? I'm yes. Assuming. Okay. Yeah. But, but for both of us, that was something we would say we gave our lives to the Lord in San Antonio at this same church. Okay. And so it birthed out of that conversation where she said, well... If I could find some recommendations for some other churches, would you be willing to try them out? And I remember my exact thought process on this. I may not remember my exact thought process for coming to work for Bordner, but I remember this. I remember thinking, okay, we just moved to a city in which you know no one. I'm the one with a job here, and you're going to talk to people to get recommendations about something as personal as church. Absolutely. I'm thinking that's on Sunday. This thing will blow over by Monday, right? Well, I came back from work first day, right? And she goes, well, you know, I worked out at the gym and I went to the grocery store and I talked to 10 people and eight of them recommended this church. Now, the funny thing about that story is we'd only been married a few years now. And so that my jaw dropped when she told me she had even done that. Today, 25 years later of marriage, doesn't surprise me at all. She has a tenacious spirit when it comes to <laughs> okay. these things, right? And I benefit greatly from that tenacity. But that was anyway, the first time you experienced the tenacity. That was the first okay. time I really experienced that. And so we... So you both take your faith very serious. We do. Okay. Yeah. And so we went We went to this church, and, and the guy that was preaching the message, he had a cowboy hat on, he had a guitar, and his sermon message was... Uh, how to lie, cheat, and steal. That was like on the marquee. That's what he was going to teach you. So you can't help but be intrigued by all this, That's right? That's a book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and But he was, you know, his play on words and, and why it's so significant to my story is because it was when I first realized, you know, that, uh, that the guy that I believed in that was so distant, right, was actually desiring just this personal walk with me. And he said, you know, so his play on words was, you know, how to lie in his loving arms, cheat the devil of his due and steal a minute every day. Right. But it resonated with me because I realized. Catch you pulling. Yeah. Catch you hook. Absolutely. Good advertising. <laughs> Good tagline, right? Yeah. Uh, so, Lenny Bruce said it, I think, didn't he? <laughs> so when, in, in going through that transformation then, you know, that began my walk with this personal relationship. And so what my desire is, is that I walk in a way that everything is birthed out of my faith in my business. So it's not, I don't want to 
to live a life that says my business life is here and my faith is here. But I, I think what I am called to do, I truly believe it's a calling for me is to lead and to run our business. And so that means that I should run that from the values uh, that I believe the Lord has called me to live out. And so there should not be any, any disconnect between those things. The person that works for me Monday through Friday, if they see me on Sunday, they should see the same person. But the greatest thing is I believe that when you're called to run a business as a believer, it's the greatest ministry opportunity there ever is because everybody has preconceptions about church and, you know, all of these different things. And let's face it, there's tons of bad stuff out there too, right? But what it all comes down to is if we can run a business faithfully where money's at stake, for whatever reason, that's something that speaks to people's heart. And I think it's because it's the first thing that can grab us, right? If the decisions Monday through Friday are all about money and they're all about, you know, that makes the decision and whatever, then, you know, you look at that and you go, well, what do I need that walk for? What do I need that faith walk for? He's just the same as I am. So my desire is to live that out in the business. And that's, that's the component that faith plays in my leadership. And I think you, it looks like you do a really good job and it makes you, it really looks like it fulfills you. Yeah. It puts a smile on your face every time you talk about it. Yeah. Do you have people at Bordner, um, are you open, one, are you open with your faith in your being religious at Bordner? And, and, and I'm sure some people know that even if you're not, but do people come up to you and ask for you for help or guidance? So... It, Certainly they do. And I think, you know, we have a lot of very, very just wise people within our company. I mean, I'm blessed to, to lead a team that they just, they blow me away on a daily basis, whether it's the way they handle our customers or just the way they navigate life. And, you know, just some of the challenges that you see, I mean, we've got single moms that work in our company and I see the way they navigate Mm -hmm. all the challenges of that. It blows me away. You know, we've got uh, young married people, we've got older single people, you know, we got, and all of the things in between and all of the unique challenges, right? And uh, so there's definitely a lot of shared wisdom amongst our team. There are many people on our team I'll go to and, you know, seek their wisdom on things. But we've done a really cool thing lately. We've had a group come in called Marketplace Chaplains. And these are chaplains that come into our office just once a week and they just walk around and they visit with people and they're just there for people to talk to. Really? So if you don't have anyone that, you know, necessarily in your personal life that you can confide in or you just got something that's really bugging you for the day, you know, they're a trusted source that you can talk to while we as a company pay for them to come in. They don't share anything with us. And your people utilize that? You know, we... So what we were told when we started is, look, that usually takes like a year for people to just warm up to mm-hmm. these strangers coming mm-hmm. in. And unfortunately, it usually takes a crisis. Someone has yeah. a crisis and they go, hey, this was really effective for me and it spreads. And, and so my conversation with the chaplains when they were coming in this last week, I, said, how, I just said, how's it going so far? And they said, you know, it's, we are really amazed at how open your people are just to talk about things. And so, again, we don't want to ask about that because the whole idea is like, here's just a safe you know, benefit you can use. And so it, it's not something that we say a whole lot about, but I, I think from the, the few reports that I've got, our people really value that and see it as an effort to, for us as, as owners of a company to, to care for them. 
And that's that's also what I'm learning again doing these video series, being out at you know your Kansas City location more often, hearing it directly from your people in the field, your salespeople specifically in the field, hearing them tell me directly, this man talks to us like he cares. Mm. If he sits down and asks you a question, it's not because he feels like he had to. He's taking that time. Yeah, and they say sometimes he's busy, doesn't have time, but when he does, he takes time to sit down and talk to us. Um, it's very obvious that they feel um, how genuine you are. Mm. And you are a genuine person. Thank you. you know, we've been working together for a few years now, and um, it's obvious. Yeah, thank you. Um, you've been a great partner for us, and you know, likewise, I hope. Well, I think, you know, you, you sold for me a little bit. I also want to sell for what you've done for us because you have such a tremendous eye for detail and, and the detail of how the message will come across uh, in the advertising and consistency of message, right? I know you'll love this. You and Kyle, my marketing director, both love these stories, right? But I'm in the grocery store the other night. Right. And I, I think I was picking up, you know, lunch meat or something. The guy behind the counter, you know, he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, Bordner built that. You know, and yes. I, I mean, I get that. Right. And, yes. and I, I think that just goes to, you know, the consistency of message that you've really brought to our company. Well, thank you. And uh, so we just really appreciate your expertise in that as well. Communication uh, in advertising is different than uh, communication as a whole. And we just, we're really thankful for our partnership and the consistency you bring to that. Thank you very much for that compliment. And communication amongst other, we all operate differently. Just like you said, there's ways to make big money on the short term. Or like however you said it, you can install a good product that look good for a short period of time and make that quick buck. Do it the other way, you'll make long money. Hmm. I think we're saying the same thing. Um, but yeah, I was telling Kyle, your marketing manager, uh, the other day, I said, who knew Border Bliss was going to have that many legs to it? Because he, you know, it's used on a hashtag. It's used on a lot of copy points, you know, from digital ads to social posts to direct mail to wherever. It's like, again, it was a, a line that I had wrote in there, and it just... The sometimes it's funny what sticks. Yeah. Or it's not funny what sticks, you kind of know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but um, it's, uh, you know, and I, I typically we don't make this about any one particular subject, these pod, this podcast, in other words, but we can talk a little bit about the trade. Um, because it seemed like Borden was a little leery to take on a firm, an agency, if you will, an ad agency. It had some bad experiences in the past. So to come in and really raise categories that needed to be raised and then holistically raise sales and to have an end result that we have. Kudos to both of us. Absolutely. Just a great partnership. It is. Yeah. And we have, we have good teams. You know, I got a great guy right here in the room with me who's producer, Tim English, um, you know, as part of that team anyway. Um, we have, you have to be out of here at 2.30. Can I keep you a little bit longer? Yep. How, how much time do you have? Uh, let's go, how about ten, two? Ten minutes? Yeah, 240 is good. Ten minutes, maybe. Um, not too much more. Um, you, talked, I, you talked about personality tests, hiring. Again, I've met a lot of your people and meeting more of them. They are all really good people. Mm. What are you doing? You do take a personality. You do have your 
Do you do a personality test assessment? We do. We use a, a local company here, Culture Index, mm-hmm. uh, and they've been a great partner of ours. They have a, a really dynamic tool. And what I what I tell all my people is, you know, there's really two things that we're trying to do. You know, I believe we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. So to say that you can come up with a test that's going to diagnose a person is, I, I think that's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But what it has done for us is it, it's allowed us to create a common language around things and create a baseline for personality. And from there, from that baseline and that common language, then we can start to make sure that we have people in their strength zones. So that has had a lot to do with it. And then when we started EOS out of that book, Traction, that I referenced, uh, in November of 2018, one of the first things you have to do is nail down your core values. And we took that very seriously. And so when we interview, we're looking for a core value fit. We believe that in what we do, we can teach to anyone if our core values line up. But we also believe that the core values don't line up. No matter how skilled a person is, there's always going to be friction. So we make our hiring decisions 90% on the personality and the core value fit. And that has really, really served us well. Wow, 90%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Culture Index, one of the neat things about that tools is they have you set up a what they call a C job. It's basically just a prototype where you take this questionnaire and say, what is the ideal person? What are their traits like to do this job? You know what's required of the job better than anybody. How detailed do they need to be? How much autonomy do they need to have? How much do they need to get fed from being uh, social with others? Right? And so they have you set that up. So you have a profile going into your open position, and they prescribe percent matches to you through their tool. It's, it's really a, it's a powerful tool to use just to serve, again, as a baseline for things. How would you find them? Uh, or did they find you? No, a friend of mine uh, from Chicago used them. They just happened to be a Kansas City company, but a friend of mine from Chicago who I really value, you know, his opinion, very, very wise business person. He was using it and it, having tremendous results in his company. And uh, the more you talk with people who, who use it, it's a pretty widely used tool. Um, again, being Kansas City based and they just, they just ha- have a unique way of giving you just a, a detailed way to kind of map out the difficult equation of people. Interesting. Um, here's something I'm curious about. Is, is it important to know what's going on in other markets in terms of building and remodeling and construction? Or how important is that to know what's working? Because some markets are different, you know, because they have, maybe they have one season or two seasons or four seasons like us. Is it important to know how? Tremendously important. Yeah, and I think even being in exterior and interior construction, we've got to understand those things. Um, home improvements in Kansas City were a really challenging market because of just like you said, we get the extremes of summer, right? We get the, the humidity of the southeast we experience. I think it was you that told me we have more freeze and thaws than New York. Um, I, I don't know that for a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me. Because, you know, we just, again... I think it was you or Sturgis Materials, because he was actually on the podcast as well. Okay. Uh, Matt was, not yeah. Mark. But um, anyway. Yeah, that is... But that just points to, like, that's the extremes, right? We started today in the 40s. We're going to finish up in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's our fall. It's a 40, 50-degree temperature swing. And all of the things that we install, they expand and contract with temperatures. 
And so if you don't know the nuances of that or understand that in this area, then what worked really well out west where it's dry and hot mm-hmm. all the time doesn't work here. And what works really well in the southeast where it's humid and wet all the time doesn't work here. So yeah, it's extremely important to understand in every area that you're working, you know, what are the nuances of that and what are the best things you can do from a prevention standpoint to create a, a good solution for homeowners. Because most homeowners know what they want something to look like, and then they rely on their contractor to be the expert on the system and the parts and pieces behind that to also make it functional. And especially with the advent of, you know, all the things that are on TV that you can see, you know, all of the, the makeovers and, you know, it, hey, on TV, it's really, really clean, right? <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, those nuances a lot of times can get lost. And so people are relying on us to know those things. That brings up another question. I didn't think to ask this um, earlier um, or in other interviews. How much has the Internet helped that design process? You know, I think the... the because now they can walk in with a picture. Yeah. so Like that, a complete picture. That's right. So that's the beauty <laughs> of it, right? Because when you sit down and you're talking about the home improvement projects that we do, you're going to have an idea in your head of what you want. And I'm going to try to listen and ask questions in a way to try to get an understanding of it. But the whole time I'm formulating a picture in my head that you can't see. And so it does leave a lot of room for interpretation. It leaves a lot of room for, you know, uh, misconceptions about things. But also creativity. That's where creativity can be born. also creativity. Right. That's where it's... Yeah. So the beauty of, of the internet is there's so many visuals that are out there now, or even just tools we can use in the home where we can just show pictures and pictures of things until we strike and, and the customer can say, I want that. How common or uncommon is it for the person to come in with the Instagram photo or whatever photo and you're like, yeah, I can do it, but that's an $80,000 bathroom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's really common. It's like, yeah, I can do that, Mr. Homeowner and Mrs. Homeowner, but do you realize what materials they've used here? <laughs> yeah, it's really common, but at the same time, we love it because that gives us an insight to, to where the person is and then you say exactly. okay yeah. you know there's two things we're always trying to match up right there's the dream and the budget and and you got to find the solution that that captures both of them and so that's a that's a, a very detailed process to walk through we got to be really good listeners and we got to understand that and we got to when when you show me the dream my job is not to kill it mm-hmm. my job is to is, is to fine tune it so that it fits over into reality as well so yeah we're we're meshing those all the time that's actually a really good place to end unless you have anything else you want to say. No, I don't think so. Because I thought that was really nice. Um, but I do want to ask, where do you, what's something that you want to see Borner do in the next five years? Yeah, I think what I want to see us do is strategically grow to create opportunity for our people. So that's what we have. Everything that we have written down over the next 10-year plan, it's now nine-year nine plan, right? Mm-hmm. but is, is to grow our business because it creates opportunity. We have two leadership classes that we do every week. So I have two groups of eight people that we're reading books, you know, we're watching video series, we're growing our leadership bench specifically so that as those opportunities come, we've got the people that we can tap and say, go run with this. So, so your leadership team is doing continued ed twice a week? Two different teams, and each of them meet weekly for an hour. We have a, uh, a, what I consider a tremendous commitment to leadership development. Sounds like it. Yeah. I, we're going to run out of time. Um, 
Can you can you tell me a little bit more about that? So the continuing ed that they do weekly. Yeah, that just started with you know I I read and listen to a lot of books. Okay, and so that just started with me saying, wow, this is content that all of our people should have. They should know. Everybody's going to be able to apply this in their work somehow in some way. So that's what I started with. We, I just say, hey, here's a book, and I'm going to lead the discussion through it. And it's not trade-specific, but it might be. Um, rarely is it trade-specific. Oh, rarely? Okay. Yeah, it's okay. mostly leadership. Mostly leadership okay. stuff. Now, we will go through, we'll take some weeks and go through specifics in our business. If we've got a big change going on, and we've got to make sure we've got clarity around that, we'll use that hour to get all the leaders on the same page clarity. with that change. Yeah, that change that's coming. But by and large, what we're doing is we're taking leadership stuff, and then we're applying it to our business. So we'll take books like uh, thing, uh, Patrick Lincioni is one of my favorite authors. And he writes things like The Ideal Team Player. He's got a new one out called The Six Geniuses of Work uh, and, and these things. And, and we'll go through them. And what it does, it just allows the leadership team to be really vulnerable in front of each other. Like it, in, in our business, it is safe to say like, you're actually a lot better at that than I am. How can you take this and run with it? What can I take off your plate to do it? And because we know each other's strengths, nobody's offended by that conversation. We're just playing into each other's strengths because we believe that if everybody will just leverage their strengths rather than spend so much time trying to correct their weaknesses, we'll get a lot further. Because I can devote an hour a week to my strengths and see exponential growth. But an hour a week to my weaknesses, like, I mean, they're just going to be a weakness except for one hour a week when I'm feeling so bad because I have that weakness, right? My father used to say, you have two wolves in you you could feed. You got the happy wolf and the mean wolf. Which one are you going to feed? That's right. How many people are on the leadership team? So uh, we have, in, in the first class, there's seven plus myself, and that's what we would, we would consider our directors and high-level leadership team, as well as Sam, my partner, and me. And then in the second class, we have what are our mid-level managers or just people in the organization that we've said, you know, there's a lot of potential there for leadership, even though they don't lead directly in their role right now. And then we're just feeding, feeding that content into them, feeding that constant language, that similar language, being able to identify strengths, weaknesses, and, and just make that okay, right? Like, we, we want you for your strengths. We'll shore up the weaknesses. Oh, that's great. You know, Rob, I, I was really, really looking forward to this, um, uh, and I knew I would learn a lot, and I did. Um, and I want to get you out of here on time. Well, so, thanks for having me, man. Hey, thanks for I've coming I enjoyed by. it as well. Come back again? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right. I hope I see you at the Christmas party. Yeah, you got it, man. Shake my hand. Let's get you out of here. Thanks for listening to the Little Agency That Roars podcast. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on FasoniPartners.com under podcast. Be sure to subscribe, be sure to like, and leave a review. If you want to submit an interview or submit yourself for an interview, please email roar at fasonipartners.com. That's R-O-A-R at fasonipartners.com. Thanks.